1: Hello and welcome to episode 300 of the UK True Crime Podcast. I'm Adam. A huge thank you, first of all, if you came to London to see the live show last week. I had a great time. I hope you did too. It was so nice to see so many of you there. Today the podcast is from Northern Ireland and looks at a very troubling day, which should have been about fun, community and celebration. But instead it turned out to be something quite, quite different. As always, let me begin by thanking all my supporters at Patreon, but especially the new members of this community. That's Robert Buckfield, Pip Leask, Simon Dovey, Joe McLaren, Lynn Liga and Charlene Thompson. Thank you so much for your support. It's much appreciated. This episode is brought to you by Noom. If you're looking for better, healthier weight loss that starts in the mind, you need to look at Noom's psychology-based approach. 80% of people actually complete the programme. Why is this? Well, instead of demanding a new lifestyle, Noom helps you understand your mind and body, which provides you with the long-term results we're all looking for. One aspect of this for me was as simple as not food shopping when hungry, as it was leading to me making some really poor choices and then balancing it with short-term fads. I remember a shake diet once. Ever done that? It really wasn't great, as I was always hungry and constantly just eating other stuff. Since using neem I have a totally different approach to food. Just because I eat an unhealthy meal during the day doesn't mean I blow the rest of the day by making further bad choices. And I know that nothing's off limits. This gives me much more control over my food life and as Noom only takes 10 minutes of my day, it's super easy to build into my routine. Lose the weight for good. Sign up for your trial at noom.com slash UKTCpod. That's noom, N-O-O-M, dot com, slash UKTCpod. Okay, so let's set some context for today's story with the never copied guest the month and year game. Why isn't it copied? Number one forever in the UK singles chart was Love Is All Around Me from Wet Wet Wet. Oh my goodness, what a week this was for Heavy Rock. In the US, the number one was the equally awful I Swear from All For One. Remember that? In Australia, Voodoo Lounge from those young upstarts The Rolling Stones topped the charts. The first album without Bill Wyman, who left the band for... mm, undisclosed reasons. Moving swiftly on. In the news this month, 29 people died when a Chinook helicopter crashed in the Mullican tyre on Scotland's west coast. Ten senior Royal Ulster Constabulary officers died, including six senior special branch officers, along with nine army officers and six members of the civil service unit that investigated the funding of paramilitaries. Effectively the intelligence services' top personnel in Northern Ireland were almost all killed in the crash. West Indian cricket batsman Brian Lara hit a world first-class record 501 not out and 390 runs in one day for Warwickshire versus Durham at Edgbaston. This was the month where OJ Simpson didn't turn himself in on murder charges and on live TV, LA police chased his Ford Bronco for one and a half hours he eventually gave up. PLO leader Yasser Arafat returned to Gaza after 27 years. And in the UK, television playwright 59-year-old Dennis Potter died of cancer a week after his wife Margaret died of the same illness. And in UK True Crime News, magistrates in Gloucester charged Fred West with a total of 11 murders believed to have been committed between 1967 and 1987 while his wife, Rose, was charged with nine murders. The following month, Fred will be charged with a twelfth murder, that of Anna McFall. So did you get the month and year? It was June 1994. Do you recall the Football World Cup held in the US in 1994? England failed to qualify after slip-ups against the Netherlands and Norway, but the Republic of Ireland qualified. It was their golden generation who under the mighty Leeds United legend Jack Charlton made the quarterfinals of Italia 1990 and now they were heading to the US delighting not just their own supporters but neutrals with their supporters making every game special. And throughout the UK when the men in green were playing the pubs and bars were packed. Their first match of the tournament was against a heavily favoured Italian team at the Giants' stadium in New Jersey. It was a magnificent atmosphere and looked like a home game as many Irish fans packed the stadium, singing, laughing and enjoying themselves. It was the same in bars all over Ireland and the world, including one bar in Northern Ireland where our focus is today. The Heights Bar, or O'Toole's, is a small pub in Loughin Island a small quiet village in County Down, about 20 miles south of Belfast and half a mile off the main Belfast to Newcastle Road. The bar was owned by the O'Toole family, Hugh and Francis, helped by their son Aidan. On the night of the 18th of June, as kickoff in the US approached, Hugh was away in Romania, helping to rebuild an orphanage. But Francis was home and 23-year-old Aidan was behind the bar. As kickoff approached, about 24 people had gathered to watch the game and spirits were high. And even higher when Ray Houghton put the Republic in front in the first half. In the Heights bar, the crowd watched nervously as constant Italian pressure. Wave after wave, the island held firm. But the high spirits in the bar didn't last long. There were about 16 people left in the pub at just before 10 past 10 when two men came into the bar wearing balaclavas and boiler suits. One shouted, Fenian bastards, and the two knelt in the doorway, raised their AK-47 rifles in their hands and indiscriminately began firing. In all, firing more than 60 bullets into the group of people in the small room. The crack of the bullets, the shattering of glass, the smoke, the screams and the cries filled the space. Aidan O'Toole, who was serving behind the bar that evening, later said, "I heard the door open, then I just heard crack, 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 and felt a stabbing pain inside me. I just ran. It was instinctive. I didn't know what was happening, but I knew I had to get away. When the two men had finished committing," their murderous act. They ran to their getaway car, laughing as they left before speeding off into the night. They left five men injured and six men dead on the floor of the bar. The dead included eighty seven year old Barney Green and his fifty nine year old nephew, Dan McCreener. Barney was a well known figure with his pipe and enjoyment of singing He was due to go to hospital for an operation in a few days and so Dan was determined to take him out for a last drink before he went into hospital and they decided to watch the football in the bar. Barney Green had put on his best suit for the evening to mark Ireland being in the World Cup finals. But Barney was the first person shot as he was sitting closest to the attackers. His niece Moira later told how her uncle like to sit in the same seat just by the door of the bar. I used to take them to weddings, and always on the way home, if it was up to this part of the world, you called in for the last drink in the pub, she said. I only ever remember him sitting in that particular seat. But he was blasted. They just pumped the bullets into him. It was unbelievably horrific. 39-year-old Eamon Byrne was in the pub with his 35-year-old brother-in-law, Patrick O'Hare. Eamon's wife had given birth to their fourth child just a few weeks earlier, and she was still receiving hospital treatment. But this child would never recall meeting their dad, as Eamon was shot seven times, with six of the bullets hitting him in the back. Patrick, or Patsy, was also shot, and his dad was one of the first people on the scene after the shooting. He cradled his son as he lay dying in his arms, he said. I lifted his anorak and put it under his head. I asked him if he was alright. He said he wasn't too bad. I stayed with my son until someone put their hand on my shoulder. I think it was a paramedic. Claire Rogan and her husband, 34-year-old Adrian Frosty Rogan, had just returned from holiday in Spain. Father of two, Adrian, went to the bar to pick up some tickets for a big Gaelic football game, which was taking place on the Sunday. He was a massive fan. But he would never make the game as he lost his life at the bar that night. Claire was actually on her way to the pub to meet her husband when the attack was taking place. I arrived at the pub just a few minutes after it happened and a neighbour was going in as I approached. He came back out and said, Don't be going in there. There's been a shooting. In my mind, I thought that somebody had been out shooting rabbits and a gun had gone off accidentally. I'd absolutely no idea what was awaiting when I went in. When I did go in, or at least tried to go in, I'll never forget what I saw. Aidan O'Toole was one of the first people I met and he just said, We need help. We need to get an ambulance. We need a clergyman. And Aidan O'Toole was two-shot in the attack with a bullet lodging in his kidney. He would later spend a week in hospital as he recovered from his injuries. He described what happened when the shooting stopped. I came out and Frosty was lying over the counter. Barney and the others were piled up down below the bar. Frosty was lying down on the ground over the counter. Barney, Patsy, and Eamon were lying piled up on top of each other. I phoned nine ninety nine for the ambulance and just told them there'd been a shooting. There was one other man killed in the pub on that terrible night, and that was fifty two year old father of three, Malcolm Jenkinson. As the most intense human tragedy unfolded in the quiet Tiny community, the men responsible for the carnage made their escape in a red Honda Triumph acclaimed car driven by a third man. Locals and paramedics were soon on the scene trying to help the injured and to administer prayers to the dead. When the Royal Ulster Constabulary, RUC, arrived, a number of people were able to provide them with the details of the Honda and also the getaway driver, who hadn't been wearing a mask, hoping that this would help the killers to quickly be brought to account for what they'd done. So why would anyone attack a small pub? in a quiet rural location. Unfortunately, it was due to the sectarian issues in Northern Ireland at the time. And just 90 minutes after the attack, a loyalist paramilitary group, the Ulster Volunteer Force, or UVF, telephoned a radio station to claim responsibility. The background is that just two days before the killing on the 16th of June, the National Liberation Army, the INLA, killed three UVF members, David Hamilton, Trevor King and Colin Craig, in a drive-by shooting on the Shankill Road in Belfast. It was said that these attacks greatly angered the senior leadership of the UVF, so much so that they called for there to be blood on the streets and for their members to kill any Catholic they could. The following day, the UVF carried out deadly attacks in retaliation. In the first, UVF members shot dead Catholic civilian taxi driver 27-year-old Gerard Brady and Carrick Fergus. In the second, they shot dead two Protestant civilians in Newton Abbey who they believed were Catholics. The Lock-in Island shootings, which took place just a day later, were further acts of retaliation. The man claiming responsibility for the UVF said that they'd carried out the Lockin Island attack as a Republican meeting had been taking place in the Heights Bar at the time. The caller added that as long as the INLA continued to attack loyalists, which was interpreted as a reference to the Shankill Road attack days earlier, they would pay the price. A second call was made to the same radio station a few hours later, just before 1am on Sunday the 19th of June, claiming that the UVF had attacked a Republican function in South Down. This was clearly inaccurate. It was no Republican meeting. It was the local community watching a game of football. None of the dead had any links with paramilitaries, and the police investigation gathered no evidence whatsoever to support the suggestion that a Republican meeting was taking place at the time. Aidan O'Toole and his family were Catholics. They would no interest in any of the conflict that was going on. Aidan would later say how he couldn't understand it, saying how the so-called troubles had never affected his village before. Untouched, it really was. There was never no trouble around here. It was a mixed community, it was a farming community. And the two big conversations were about farming and Gaelic football. There were Protestants in that day. It was just a Catholic-owned bar and an easy target. The UVS explanation for the attack was also dismissed angrily by Unionist politicians. Obviously, these people are psychopaths, nothing short of it, an Ulster Unionist councillor said. I feel shocked and disgusted to think that these people call themselves loyalists. The six men, it seemed, had sadly died due to the familiar tit-for-tat killings that we witnessed so much during the Troubles, and I have covered a number of times on this podcast. Of course, even with all the terrible events that had happened during the Troubles, there was widespread horror at what had happened on this evening. The Queen, Pope John Paul II, and Bill Clinton sent messages of sympathy to the families of those affected and the local community. Local Protestant families visited their injured and traumatised neighbours in hospital, expressing utter revulsion at what had happened. And the funerals were of course emotional affairs. TV cameras from all over the world captured the funeral procession of Adrian Rogan, the first of the victims to be buried, followed by Protestants and Catholics, as the funeral cortege passed the Heights pub. Watching it now, it's almost impossible not to be moved by Adrian's two young daughters in tears walking behind the coffin of their dad. He was someone who should have been there for them all their life to support them and share in all their experiences. And yet now, due to the action of these gunmen who hadn't known their dad and were fighting for a cause that the girls had never even heard of, due to this, their dad would no longer be there for them. It's just unfair, isn't it? And desperately, desperately upsetting. But of course, as we hear so often on this podcast, the world keeps turning, events move on, and except for those directly affected, attention moved away from the scene of the massacre. A few days later, Ireland lost in the World Cup to Mexico, and shortly afterwards, they were eliminated by the Netherlands. After what had happened, The O'Toole family were not sure if the bar could ever reopen. How could it be a place for celebration and enjoying yourself after the horror that had taken place? My dad was just devastated, said Aidan O'Toole. He didn't want to. But the Heights, like so many rural bars, was so much more than just a local pub. It was the focal point of the whole community. The local priest and others visited the O'Toole's and gently urged them to open the pub again, as it was just so vital to the local community and could also play a role in the healing. And they did. They made some changes, blocking the door where the killers had entered forever. They converted what had been the lounge into the main bar, remembering those who had lost their lives with a simple plaque showing the photographs and names of those who'd been killed in the old bar. The counter, where Barney Green, the oldest victim, liked to sit, was taken away. But they kept many other parts of the building, including the beige-tiled mantelpiece, and there is a pool table at the back of the room. And the families affected had to try to move on with their lives. Claire Rogan, whose husband Adrian was killed, spoke about how the first two years after the killings was like living through a haze and she felt that she just about managed to function through constant low-grade shock. But she told how she still managed to make food for her daughters, and managed to return to work and function there. She spoke about how returning to the Heights helped her and her family, and family and friends of the other victims. She told how sometimes they would sing there, which felt like letting off steam. Probably, she said, for outsiders looking in, it was strange. But it was a way of releasing tension for us. This bar had to open again, otherwise, our community would have been gone forever. And now, as a community, they wanted those people responsible to be caught. The RUC were very clear when they spoke to the families of those affected by the massacre that they would leave no stone unturned in their efforts to catch the killers and bring them to justice. And next week, In the concluding part of this story, we hear about the quite remarkable police investigation. A story that if it was a work of fiction, you would dismiss as being completely impossible to happen. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the UK True Crime Weekly Podcast. To discuss this story or any other aspect of UK True Crime, please head to the Facebook group, just search UK True Crime. And you will find over 82,000 of us ready to chat true crime, or UK true crime, 24-7. And to support the show, please head to patreon.com slash UK true crime. Not only will you find over 50 bonus episodes, but there's loads of other exclusive content and competitions. You can join Patreon for as little as £1 a month and cancel at any time not you will ever want to, of course. And take out an annual subscription for as little as £17 and I'll send you a signed copy of my book about serial killer Angus Sinclair. Just head to patreon.com forward slash UKTrueCrime And please also do join me for my next live show in Manchester with Paul and Mike on the 4th of October at the Retro Bar. It's a great venue. Tickets are now on sale So please get the link from the show notes or on any of my social channels. Okay, so that's all from me for another week. I'll speak to you again on Tuesday for the concluding part of this story. So until we speak again on Tuesday, please do take it easy. And despite all the others, stay classy. Cheerio for now.